everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Laura Phelps is one of the most well-known names in powerlifting. Her transition from gymnastics to long-distance running and to bodybuilding and finally powerlifting makes for a unique origin story in the sport. Smashing records in four weight classes and totaling 11 times body weight is perfectly indicative of her competitive spirit. And although she's not competed in several years, her love for the sport has not waned in the slightest. Now her role as coach is to take other women beyond her own records. Here it is, episode 512. Hey Laura, thanks for coming on Power Athlete Radio. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so where are you, uh, where are you zooming in from? Uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. That's where I live. Um, just literally in my living room. So, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen you in forever. So I know. It's kind of nice to see you. <laughs> we met uh, years ago out at Westside. Uh, oh, my God. When, dude, that was like a whole other lifetime ago. Literally. When the CrossFit um, powerlifting courses were at Westside every, every month, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Louis invited me to come out and kind of uh, give – him my assessment yeah and yeah. i was like i don't know how this whole thing's gonna go down <laughs> i know i know <laughs> was was what year was this was this pre-crossfit uh, football yeah this is no nah, maybe this is like 2009 2010 right. somewhere in yep. there and yeah so louis called me just out of the blue and you know i mean it's louis simmons of course everybody knows who louis, louis simmons is and he just calls me up he's like hey would you come out we're gonna do this seminar we'd love to have you come out and at least understand what we're doing and give me your opinion on it. And I remember like, it was such an interesting dichotomy of like the West side environment, the lifters, and then all these really just thin <laughs> GPP based fit fit individuals. Fit individuals. It reminded me of like a prison situation where like the nerd guy gets to go into prison and like into the yard and just get fucking murdered. Like that's what it felt like. I was like, you guys should stay away from those big dudes because I'm pretty sure they're either going to beat you up or make you their girlfriend. He always, he always insisted on having them on Friday, Saturday so that the crossfitters would have to come and watch, watch the big guys lift in the morning um, before they started their stuff. So here they are watching these guys move, you know, thousands of pounds, you know, and um, before they got to start in with Louis. So they were either like, yeah, terrified or really excited. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, the look on these dudes' faces, uh, one of the guys' nose just like exploded underneath the weight. He had, <laughs> like, they're doing like dynamic efforts. And it's like, I think it was like 10 doubles. And the dude's got like top, like 900 pounds on the bar. And he's just like ringing this thing off the box and his nose just explodes. And the look on these dudes' faces was awesome. Did he keep going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, why would you stop? Like, that's like a badge of courage. Your, oh, yeah, you got to sure. finish your fucking set. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, it was, yeah, it was funny. And then, I mean, I, I got a chance to spend probably two-plus weeks with Louie. Uh, we had three meals a day, and I got to the conclusion that Westside only exists at Westside. And uh-huh. anything he wrote about in the book didn't exist. Because we didn't yeah. talk about a single thing. So I, I had read the book. He sent me the book of methods. I went through the whole deal. And I realized it's basically show up there and train and then have him kind of put his magic eye on you and figure out what you need to do. So Individuality. It was very, yeah, in, individuality. Have a program and an individual. So it was pretty good. And then uh, Laura, of, of course, got up and squatted some god-awful amount of weight. And these poor dudes were like, couldn't figure and fathom this whole thing. So it was... Uh, yeah, it, it, it was funny. It was. Uh, I remember though, you, you and you and Louie came back from lunch. I didn't go wherever to lunch for some reason, 
And one of the CrossFitters talked me into like doing some overhead squats and like you and Louie were so mad because I was still competing then. And they were yeah. like, you guys are like, what are you doing? And I was like really trying to go heavy on yeah. overhead squats. I'd never done it. And I was like, I'm going to try this. But you guys were so pissed. Well, <laughs> it's because as you know, I mean, the flexibility for overhead squatting juxtaposes yeah, what you need to bench totally. big weights. Oh yeah. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? But it just got caught up in like, oh, I want to try that, you know? Yeah. Stupid human tricks, which is right, like... Right. Every, you know, every gym you walk into, like the, the classic West side grift is, uh, the bamboo bar. Oh, well that's, you pulled that on somebody when we visited West side. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I purposely, so when I went out there the very first time, uh, you know, I had got the joke played on me. We're like, Oh, Hey, let's do some of this. So I bought a bamboo bar and went home and used it a bunch. And then when we went back out there, one of the guys was like, Hey, you want to do some bamboo bar? I'm like, yeah, show me how it works. And so he lays down and he does it. And then I lay down. I'm like, just like this. And he's like, like, could you could see it couldn't compute. And he's like, well, let's go a little heavier. So he threw a little bit more on and all of a sudden it got really stable. And he's like, you ever done this before? I'm like, yeah. And then there was a man that jumped in right behind you and he had never done it before. And you made it look easy. Because if you do it right, you can make it look totally effortless if you understand how to do it. And then all of a sudden the dude gets under there and it like hits him underneath the chin and almost took his head off. And we were like, <laughs> okay, we shouldn't do this. Right. That's <laughs> typically how it looks the first time. <laughs> so what, uh, I mean, uh, like you were at that point, probably the most, you know, dominant female power lifter in history. And right. so like, where do you go from that? And what's necessarily happened in the last 10 years? If that was, yeah, if that was like 2009, 2010, I was definitely like right in the middle of my powerlifting career because it was like 10 years long. I started in 2005. So, um, you know, I had another about five years of competing. I kind of spanned four different weight classes. You know, I, I always walked around like around 172 or so. So 165 was my normal weight class. I would cut, you know, six, seven pounds of weight. But, um, you know, there were times that I just didn't cut that weight and I would come in as a light 181 um, in the 181 weight class. And one time I like really ate up to 182 so that I could be in the 198 weight class. And that's how I, um, and actually coming down from that when I was like kind of exiting powerlifting, I came down to 148. So 148, 165, 181 and 198. Um, and I got the bench record in all of those weight classes. So that was kind of one of my goals. You know, at the time it was just like, okay, I have world records in the 165 weight class, but like Becca Swanson at the time, she was, I mean, she dominated everything. She was, she was a super heavyweight, but she was first female to squat 700, first female to squat 800, first female to bench 500, first, I mean, all these things. It was like, it kind of didn't leave a lot of like first, you know, so, um, I kind of picked out a couple things that I thought would be cool to like be the first to do. And one of them was first thing was to total 11 times body weight. Um, cause no one had ever done that. Someone had done 10 times before, um, but 11 times body weight. So I, I did that in 2011. And then, um, I thought about like, well, I have the world record in the bench press in the 165 and 181. Um, that's when I was like, Oh, I'm going to try to, I'm going to do this competition and like, at that time, like my bench was going really well, but my squat and deadlift were, eh, they were so, so, um, so I was like, let me focus on bench and eat up to, like I said, 182 and waited at 198 and got the bench record in that weight class. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to come back down. I don't like, I, I'm five foot two and I'm not meant to be 182 <laughs> pounds. You know, it was, it was miserable. So, um, I dropped weight and then cut down to the 148 weight class, uh, the next year. 
and uh, got the bench record in that weight class. So then it was the first female to have um, four world records in four in, in four different weight classes. So uh, that was kind of like a couple of like my more notable things. Uh, and in 2014, I did a competition. It was it was a competition where I cut down to 148. And after that, I was just kind of like, man, I'm just like kind of burnt a little bit. I'm just like just need a little break, but I didn't, you know, I, I never anticipated in like not ever returning. I just thought I would just take a break. And, um, it just kind of turned into more of a focus at that time. We had started getting a lot more people at the gym and a lot more females in my training crew. So my, my training crew started to grow. I started finding myself more invested in coaching these other girls. So I, you know, it just became like a thing later the following year where I just was like, I think this is more of my passion now. I'm not getting that passion back to like, or that feeling like, okay, now it's time to start getting into meat prep um, or some, or pick out a competition. I just never got that feeling back. I was, you know, I just, I just became more busy. I had put kind of a lot of these things on hold when I was competing where it was like, I wasn't really I never, I, I never coached anybody really, or did any like online programming for a long time. You know, I never felt confident enough until I, until I'd achieved enough and learned enough myself, which I learned so much just by, you know, helping Louie with those seminars. Um, just, you know, doing those, so many of those, and, you know, we ended up starting to travel to do them because, uh, Louie didn't want to travel to any, he doesn't like to travel at all, um, or get on a plane. Um, I've traveled with him a couple of times on a plane and it was not fun. Um, he does not enjoy like that whole, that whole thing. So, uh, started traveling literally around the world to teach, you know, that CrossFit powerlifting course. So just with my experience with that too, like coupled with my own experience with, with training and competing, um, you know, it's why in 2014, 2015, I just started to kind of shift my focus to that and, and started finding more of a passion in that. So I never really had like a, like a retirement meet or a retirement announcement. I just never really went back to competing and uh, just kind of smoothly transitioned into uh, coaching people in person and remotely and then hosting competitions. So we've been hosting competitions, uh, powerlifting meets at the gym, uh, but kind of got more into that, started hosting three competitions a year, which led into hosting a all women's competition. So uh, that started actually did the first one of those actually in 2012 and it was real small, but we, I mean, at the time there weren't a lot of uh, females in powerlifting. So to, for, for our first competition to have 40, I think we had 43 females that came to compete, which was huge because like I said, when I was competing like early on, I'd most likely be like the only female in a competition, you know, uh, maybe one or two females, you know, that you, you couldn't fathom having only a female only competition so, you know, 2012 started doing that. And, you know, my, another one, one of my passions went into like just focusing mostly on that because it took whole, a whole year basically to plan that. Um, now we've got it to where this next year, this year, this past year in April would have been our 10th year, but we missed a year due to COVID. So this coming year um, in April, 2022 will be our 10th year for the women's pro-am. And we usually have about a hundred and, you know, 130 to 140 uh, competitors um, in that competition over two days. So we have uh, an amateur day and a, a pro day. So, you know, things like that between hosting competitions and coaching people, you know, is kind of where I've been since, since 2014, since my last meet. Is it because um, like really just the admin of social media and, and everything that all of a sudden now there's just so much more I guess you could say spotlight opportunity on women's powerlifting that now it's kind of created something that might've just been kind of fringy in a powerlifting magazine right. before. 
For sure. I mean, I definitely think that helped because when I was competing, there wasn't, there was no, um, Instagram social or, um, Facebook came around in like 2009, I think. Um, you know, so you could post some stuff there, but like that really wasn't like the avenue for like posting your list and stuff. There was only like forums. You could, you could go into a forum and take the time to embed a YouTube video into the forum or something like that. You know, so it's really just, and then listen to like 1200 dipshits, try to coach you on your technique, uh, unsolicited. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't really like, I don't know. It just wasn't a place to share like training or coaching or anything like that. So I think a little bit, a lot of it probably is social media, but a lot of it too was, um, you know, I think the popularity of CrossFit and other of any of these other type of, you know, workout type regiments that came along that included strength training and became more trendy or acceptable or whatever to, um, to lift weights, like for women, like it became like, Oh, this is what we do in class. It's really cool. And, um, you know, so then you had women that were lifting weights in a class, you know, in a group setting and then, uh, finding that they're strong or they really enjoy it. And then they might have then branched off from CrossFit. You know, maybe they were like, I don't really, I want to focus more on the strength and less on the conditioning. Um, so we've, you know, the sport has gained a lot of women via CrossFit, uh, or other things that are like that. You know, I think, so I think that helped kind of initiate it. And then with social media now, it's just like exploding, you know, you know, some people like their whole Instagram feed is just nothing but a training log, you know? So, um, it's just, you know, become so much more popular. It's, it's crazy. What was that spark for you to get into it without the advent of social media? I know I, I started in bodybuilding. Um, I was living in Toledo, Ohio at the time. So I was going to a powerhouse gym. It was a great gym. It was uh, a lot of bodybuilders and I did a few bodybuilding shows, but there were a few power lifters at that gym that, um, would, you know, we all just kind of talked, you know, when we were training. And so I, I kind of really got into like the, the heavier stuff. Even if I wasn't, I wasn't squatting and deadlifting at the time I was doing some bench press, but like, even if I was like doing leg press or shoulder presses with dumbbells or something, I always try to go as heavy as possible. I really enjoyed that, but I never, I didn't know anything about powerlifting enough to say like, I should explore this other sport. Um, but other people at the gym noticed that, that I was kind of into it. So they told me about some local non-sanctioned competitions that were like just bench and deadlift, just push pull. So they were just local, not, not sanctioned, nothing like that. They were just for fun. And they were like, oh, you should try it. And so I was like, okay, I'll try that. Like, so I go to these competitions. I did a couple of them. They were up in Toledo and it was super fun, but I still wasn't really like, I don't know. I still really wasn't thinking about like switching entirely to powerlifting because I still actually didn't even understand that there was, that that was just, you know, for fun, that there was this whole other Sport, essentially this is just push pull for fun nobody's wearing like bench shirts squat suits anything like that um you know because at the time that's what everybody did like in in powerlifting now it's like you know multiply is such a small aspect of powerlifting it's all you know raw now but at the time back then in 2004 2005 everything was equipped everybody lifted in bench shirts squat suits you know uh, deadlift suits everything so um when i was doing these competitions, these little non-sanctional competitions. I met, met a couple guys that were like, like real power lifters that competed in, um, sanctioned competitions and powerhouse gym. So we kind of like just connected and they were like, let's try to do like a real competition. We'll pick one out this summer. And I was like, okay. Um, we picked one out about six months out and it was up in Chicago. And at the time it was just like, okay, I need to hurry up and order 
everything, squat briefs, <laughs> squat suit, bench shirt, everything, um, which to me now it blows my mind. Like, cause you know, everybody kind of like takes their time transitioning into that stuff. Um, whereas I, luckily I had a solid base. I had, you know, been doing bodybuilding and lifting, you know, relatively heavy for a couple of years. So I had, you know, a pretty solid base and, um, you know, so I would never suggest someone who has no lifting experience to just like go into lifting overloads with, um, all this gear, you know, so I ordered this stuff and I started learning it and I did my first competition that summer up in Chicago. And at the time, like at my first meet, I squatted 551 and benched 303, I believe, and pulled 441, um, or, or whatever the closest kilos are to that. Um, you know, but at that time, when I did that first competition, I was like, this is real, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I'm going to do because I was already scoping out the world records online and the all time world records and the squat record at that time was 611 and doing 551. Like, that's just how my brain worked at the time. I'm like, you know, now telling someone like that's a pretty far way away. But at the time I was like, I'm going to, I, I know I can do it. I, you know, I'm going to keep this going because I'm going to get that spot record because at the time I wasn't training West side conjugate or anything like that. I um, didn't know anything about it. I was just training with a group of older power lifters in Detroit. I would drive up to Detroit and they were like former world champions. They had a lot of time in the sport, um, but they were like at the end of their career, but they were helping me so much. But we had no real training system. We would literally just go in, let's say on like a Saturday and spend four hours squatting, just work up heavy every single Saturday. So it was just like I had to also had these beginner gains where every, every weekend I'm just like going in and putting 20, 30 pounds on my squat, you know, just, just continuing like that with no, with no real You're like, like this said, will no never end. <laughs> yeah, it's never going to end. I'm just going to keep going, you know. Um, so that's why I literally thought, I'm like, well, it just keeps going. I'll just, you know, I'll go back to the gym next week and I'll just keep going up. And then by whatever, whatever time frame, you know, I'll have that world record. Um, so that's just how my brain thought. So I totally ditched the powerlifting thing. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in with this, but with this powerlifting thing, um, you know, done with bodybuilding. And I mean, I also had a really good crew. Like, I, I mean, I, I think that back now and I'm like, I got, I was super lucky that like, I got introduced to these guys that trained in Detroit that were former world champions. They had so much experience and they, um, they just, and they also were at the end of their career. So it wasn't like they were like focused on themselves. They were like, they, here's this person that comes in that has a lot of potential. And so they put a lot of focus on me. Um, and they just helped me so much. So, I mean, a lot of people don't have that. Like, you know, if someone nowadays is somewhere in some city and they want to get into equipped powerlifting, it's going to be hard unless they, cause they're going to have to find, there probably isn't a whole lot of equipped lifters that train at their gym and, you know, finding people that to do it because you can't do it alone. You have to have people to help you get into all this stuff and, and whatnot. Um, you know, so, I mean, I really got lucky. I mean, there's so much much technique technique. and learning in that. Right. So much technique. That's what kind of makes it kind of like a sport in itself, you know, because it's, yes, you have to obviously train to get strong, stronger, but you have to, you know, be very technical. And I think that's what helped me. My, you know, I have a big background in gymnastics and I have good body awareness. So when it comes to just pure strength, you know, at that time when I was competing, the difference between me and like someone who's number two, number three, number five, isn't a whole lot, but who's, who's more technical, who can use the gear the best, you know? So, um, I think that's what really helped me a lot is I had people show me that knew what they were doing. Um, and then, you know, like I said, coupled with my background in gymnastics and, 
you know, having just a strong, strong body awareness and good flexibility so I could squat super wide and get into a big arch on my bench press, you know, all of that stuff. It just, it was just like the perfect storm. Everything just happened for a reason and everything happened really fast too. You know, that, that was my first meet in um, June. And then I did another meet in August and I squatted 580. So I put about 30 pounds on my squat um, and another, I think 15 pounds on my bench. I don't think I took a, I think I took a token deadlift that day. I don't know why, but we were just kind of there to practice the squat and bench. Um, but then after that, the next step, like at that time, the, the pinnacle of powerlifting was the WPO. Uh, everybody was trying to, everybody lifted, you know, there were maybe two or, you know, a couple federations at the time, not like today where there's like a ton of federations. So most people that lifted a cliff lifted in the APF, which fed into the WPC WPO. And, um, you know, so it was like that the WPO semifinals and super finals, which were in at the Arnold, the, the finals at the Arnold were, um, that was just, that, that's what everybody aspired to get to, you know, so that, you know, you read about it, like at the, you know, like at the time, not much social media going on. So you just read the powerlifting USA. And so by reading the powerlifting USA, it was just like, you know, there was so much coverage on the WPO and that's just, okay. It's like, yes, I want to break world records, but I want to be on that platform. You know, that's where everybody wants to be. And at the time they did not have women. It was only guest lifter women. So they would, it was all men. They had like, you know, lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. And then they would take on about, I don't know, four, maybe four guest lifters that were women. Um, I still didn't care, you know, like, you know, at the t- now we're trying to like fight for like, like having big women's competitions and paying women like they do for men. By the time I'm like, I don't care if I'm a guest lifter. I still want to, you know, my numbers would still count. I just won't be able to like win anything or whatever. Um, so the, the next semifinals were a month after that second meet that I had, they were in se- the end of September. And I wrote to the president of that federation who puts on the competitions. And I was like, you know, I basically asked him if I could compete. I was like, you probably have no clue who I am, especially with very little social media. Um, I was like, but you know, this is what I've done in the last couple months. And, you know, I'm, I'm really confident that I can break that squat, that squat record, the 611 squat record. And I really want to do it at your competition. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I just kind of threw it out there. I sent him an email and just didn't think I would even hear back, but he actually wrote me back and said that, uh, one of the females that was supposed to be on the on the list for that competition, she uh, got injured. So they had a spot open and um, he just, he let me in. So it was crazy. It was just like, okay, here we go. So here about six weeks later, I did that competition and my goal was to break the world record there. You know, like I said, it was 611 and I'd only just done 580. So I go to the meet and I put in my opener as 617, which I mean, I look back now and I'm like, that is insane. I would never let one of my lifters do that. Like where they're opening up with a 30 pound PR um, on a huge platform like that, where you're going to be nervous. Everybody, the top people are there. Um, but I don't know. Nobody stopped me. I just put in for 617 and um, in the warm up room, it was like, everybody was there. It was, I mean, Louie was there, the whole West side crew, every single person that was the t- in the top of powerlifting at the time was there. And, and so I was super nervous, like really, really nervous. I was never that nervous before for the other two competitions, but you know, there was a lot riding on this. And I just remember warming up and uh, Louie was in the back warm up room. And I, I was like taking my last warm up attempt. It was like five, maybe five sixty or something. And he, um, 
he like said something, he cheered for me, like doing my warm up attempt. And I just like, my legs just kind of like gave out. Like I just went down with weight and never came back up. Like they, I had spotters and they brought me back up, but I missed the weight. Um, and I didn't have time to take it again. Like I didn't have time to like redo it or anything. It was like, okay, time to go out to where the platform is. And I was just like, so then I was literally triple nervous. I was just like, I just missed my last warm up and I'm about to go open up like 50 pounds heavier or 60 pounds heavier. Um, but I don't know something happened there on the platform and everything just felt super easy. I got to six, uh, six seventeen. I got that really easily. And I went to, I, I mean, I made a jump to six sixty one, which again, if I had an athlete, I would never let them do that. I don't know what I was thinking. It just was like, I'm just going for it. I mean, that was a huge, huge, um, jump. I went to six sixty one and I got that. And then I went to 683 on my third attempt and got that. And um, so in world in power in powerlifting at certain competitions, you could take a fourth attempt if it's a world record. So I took a fourth attempt at 700 or whatever, like 701. Um, and I just barely missed it at the top. I just kind of like windmilled into the rack. Um, so I, you know, left there with the 683, which was a hundred pound PR just from six weeks before. Um, and everything just kind of changed that day. From that moment, it was just like, um, everything changed. It just like put me on the map. Um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting Louie and meeting all these people and they're just like, who is this person? And, you know, people tell me all the time that we're there. They're like, they're like, this girl's making guy size jumps, you know, guys that are squatting a thousand, they're, they're making like 60 pound jumps. And here I am just like making these big jumps and, um, everything just changed, you know, that day. But, you know, ev- like in the two months that that happened, you know, I, I, and we talk about like, you know, those beginner gains and I got to, you know, it's just, oh, this is going to keep going. Well, you know, essentially, you know, that day I you know, almost squatted 700, but it took years and years and years to squat because my highest squat ever is 775. But, you know, so 70, 75 pounds essentially to put on to my squat, it took that long. And, um, you know, so it, I talk about that all the time with athletes or at seminars and stuff. It's like, I mean, it's a true test of patience because there's going to be a point, like you're going to make great gains. You're going to, you know, get 50, 100 pound PRs on your total every single meet. But at some point you're going to get five pound PRs on your squat or 10 pound PRs, you know, um, and, you know, it's how patient are you is, you know, the, you know, a lot of people might just give up because they're like, oh, I'm just, you know, not making progress. But I always tell them like, it took me forever to make that 70 pounds of progress. Yeah, Dude, that's uh, that's awesome. Going for it, taking your shot. I love it, <laughs> especially missing in the warm up room, man. Oh yeah, that was crazy because I was just like, I I wanted to take it again so bad, but they're just like, you literally don't have time. Like they're calling people out there. You got to go. <laughs> what? Uh, so so you said your background was gymnastics. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that what you did growing up? And then how did you transition into bodybuilding? Um, yeah, I started when I was four doing gymnastics, and I um, did competitive gymnastics until I was in junior high. And I realized at that time, I'm like, I think I was like a level seven or level eight. And I was like, I'm not gonna like be an elite level gymnast and going to the Olympics and stuff, you know, cause I really, I didn't like doing bars or beams. I really, I liked more of the powerful stuff. I liked the, the, um, the floor exercise and the vault. Um, so I, my high school that I went to, um, junior high and high school, they offered a gymnastics team, like a program. And, and that you could do whatever you wanted. You could do just floor, you could do, you know, so I, I went to that and I just only did the floor exercise and the vault. So all the way through high school. So I just did high school gymnastics. And when I got into college, I 
didn't do, I didn't know what to do because I had just done, you know, even when I was doing gymnastics, I played soccer, I ran track, you know, I tried to do a lot of other things, but gymnastics was like, like my main thing. Um, but, you know, so getting out of high school, you just, you don't know what to do because you've just been going to practice and everything's organized and laid out for you. And I was just like, I, you know, it was just like, what, what do I do to stay active? I have no clue. So I, I was going to Ohio State and I went to the rec center and just like, I would just kind of like look around at what people were doing and I was just like, I like, okay, I was like, did some lat pull downs. I did some tricep push downs. I would do like maybe four or five things and I always did the same thing. And then I would go and I was like, okay, I'm going to go on the treadmill now and I'm going to run a little bit. And I remember like getting up to like a mile and then I was like, that's pretty cool. And then got up a little bit further and then I, and then I signed up for like a 5k and I was like, oh man, I just ran three miles and, um, which led into like basically all of college doing, uh, long distance running, which is super bizarre. Cause I'm not built for it. I'm not good at it. Like even to this day, I like to run sometimes like, you know, here and there. And, um, I'm just slow, you know, like, you know, nine to 10 minute miles. I don't, you know, it's just, that's, that's how fast my body wants to go. And, um, you know, so, but I ended up doing half marathons, full, I did two full marathons, you know, lots of five K's and 10 K's, but that's basically what I did to stay in shape. Um, and I don't even know if I really continued to do those few exercises like at the gym. Um, I just stuck to running mostly. And um, when I got out of college, I was working at General Motors in Toledo in the fitness center. You know, so there's all kinds of weights there. And that kind of like got me interested in it. Like I started like doing a little bit of, of weightlifting in there. And um, then that's when I got the membership to Powerhouse Gym. And you know, there was like tons of bodybuilders there and everybody's like, oh, my, you have a lot of potential, you know, with like my, the way I was built. I'm short. I've got like just round muscle bellies, like, you know, all these things, like small joints, whatever it is that like bodybuilders look for. So like, you should totally do it. So I focus more on training for bodybuilding and, um, you know, lifting heavier, but like doing like bodybuilding specific exercises and then uh, hired a nutrition person for my nutrition for these, I did like three competitions and I mean, I loved it. I love, I, I didn't love the dieting. I hated it. Like I still hate eating super clean. You know, I, I've come from a family of like my mom had had a bakery and you know, my uncle has a restaurant. I mean, we just, everything revolves around food. So it was just like this weird thing of like eating so clean for so long. And, um, I just love training and I love the day of the competition. I love, you know, performing that probably has to do with my gymnastics background. I never felt weird being on stage and, you know, kind of like dancing around a little bit or posing and stuff. It felt that felt natural and fun to me. Um, but the dieting, I was just like, this, this sucks, you know? So, um, the last competition I did was the GNC body rock in Virginia. And I, and I won that. And it was just like, I had, there was a promoter from the Arnold there and he was, gave me his card and he was, you know, you know, kind of like one of those things. It's like, we're going to be looking out for you, you know, cause the, that was the next step would have been to like go to like a national type um, competition to try to win your pro card. So I thought I was going to do that. I mean, looking back though, I mean, I, that would been such a long journey. Cause like I was small, like I weighed in at my, at, yeah, even at that GNC body rock, I don't know how I won the overall cause I was only 120 pounds. I weighed at 121 and um, you know, so I probably would have, at the time, if they would have had physique, I mean, who knows, I might've stayed with it. Cause like physique, you know, you know, had to get as big, you know, um, you know, I might've stayed with it and found a passion in physique, but I just thought bodybuilding, like, it's just going to, you know, I see the pictures of people that are, that are at the top and like, 
that's just going to take a lot of effort and whatever to do that. And, you know, I was kind of seeking something that I could be the best at, you know, I just, you know, I talk about that a lot to people where it's just like, I just had this feeling from the time I was younger that I just needed to like keep trying things and find something that, um, that I'm really good at because I just had this feeling like there was something. So, you know, my mom would always, you know, say that I always tried something for a couple of years and I quit, you know, and it's just like, and I, I, I listened to a podcast with Steffi Cohen and she said the same thing. She called it strategic quitting. And I was like, Oh my God, I totally get it. I wasn't a quitter. I just was like, I'm, I, I'm not going to be the best, the best at this. I'm done with it. You know, I'm going to move on to something else. Maybe I'll be at the best at that. So, you know, I just, I was always like about two years, I would try something. And I was just like, I got to move on to the next thing. So um, that's when powerlifting like presented itself. I was like, okay, like I'm done with power or with bodybuilding because I just don't feel like I'm gonna. I don't really don't want to do what it takes to be the best in, at bodybuilding. So I'm gonna I'm gonna um, try my hand at powerlifting. And so when once I had that that day when I broke the world record, I was like, this is it. I found it. You know. <laughs> my uh, I've I've twin daughters, and my one daughter has the exact same thing. She mm-hmm. believes that there's something out there that she'll yeah. just naturally be great at, and she hasn't yeah. found it yet. Yeah. So. We've done soccer. She's doing swimming right now. They, uh, the mandatory is they have to do gymnastics twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my other daughter rides it, and it's like she's like, Dad, there's something out there. I have to yeah. find it. So she's at a parkour camp this weekend or this week. And it's like I just sign her up for like the most random stuff. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and then like I try to explain it to her. I'm like, you know, it takes hard work. Like you might not be good at something today, but you're going to have to take effort. And I go through this whole story, and she's like, nope. There's just something out there that I'll just <laughs> yeah. be perfectly good at and I'll find it. And I, and I, I laugh and it's so ironic cause I like, it's so foreign in my mind. Like, yeah. it, like I'm, I'm like, okay, Hey, if we're going to do this, it's going to be this you long, just arduous process. And you just try hard. Yeah. yeah. And so as you said that, I was like, wow, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a difference yeah, between boys and girls. Something, literally. Like, it's just like, I think maybe we just know sometimes where it's just like, okay, like it's not that I'm not willing to work hard. It's just, I have this feeling like this isn't the thing. Cause once I found powerlifting and, uh, I, I had no issue with like, I never felt like that, you know, Oh, this is only the last couple of years or I had no issue with working hard. I mean, I, I still, I, I'm obsessed with training. I still train. I, even though I haven't competing, competed in, you know, almost seven years, I still train like that. I, I mean, it's just what I love. And I never had an issue. I never missed training. Like maybe if I had the flu or something, but like, you know, I never had issues with with like being unmotivated or anything like that. I just, I mean, I love to train. So sometimes, I, sometimes I have a hard time even coaching people. Like um, sometimes, like where it's just I can't relate. Sometimes when like people lose motivation or lose discipline, I'm just like I, like I have to remember that like this not this isn't everybody's thing. You know, like where they're you know everybody. This is a hobby to some people. Yeah. <laughs> when when you started to teach the the seminar. Did that really have an impact on your performance as an athlete? Like it really did. understanding yeah. this nuances of movement. Like what were what were some rev- revelations that you made while teaching that course? Yeah, I really started to like um, kind of dial my training in and get more organized with my training because prior to that, I you know I definitely still followed like the conjugate system, um, uh, but I I don't know I just kind of would wing it every week, you know so learning more about it, like helped me to be more, um, you know, just organized with my training and like regimented with it and like picking things and learning how to, um, pick movements that are like testers and some that are builders and, um, expanding my horizons with accessory work, you know, being learning how to figure out, uh, you know, what my weaknesses were and how to attack them, like what, what accessory movements to pick and, and also learning how to, um, 
you know, focus on if it's like a max effort movement, like getting that done, like that's a tester. So I'm going to get that done quickly. I'm not going to like spend three hours squatting anymore. I'm going to like, you know, seven to nine total attempts. I'm done because eight with the conjugate system, which is, you know, really, really um, like specifically the West side conjugate system for equip lifting. It's just, it's, it's perfect the way it's set up. Um, but like, you know, I just started to learn that I was spending way too much time and effort on my main movement and not as much on my accessories, you know? So, you know, that's you know, where certain things started to like, maybe, um, you know, kind of stall, like my bench stalled for a little while. Like, you know, I really wanted a 500 pound bench and it was just like stuck between the 450, 460 mark. And it was like, okay, I need to start figuring out what is going on, you know? So you know, I started to like be more diligent about my accessory work and pushing it, you know, pushing my accessory work. I wasn't pushing my accessory work very much before because I was so focused on that main movement. Like if it was like the one rep max, whatever bench press um you know it was just i would spend probably hour and a half to two hours maybe working up to that single and probably taking way too many attempts you know um doing way too many attempts which leaves me nothing for accessory work you know so once i started to figure out like okay like you know i started planning my my max effort you know so i tell that to people all the time in seminars now i'm like usually the conjugate system doesn't work for people because they because they overdo it. They do way too many, too much volume on max effort on that main movement, doing 10, 15 sets, you know, cause they just keep going and going, adding a little bit of weight, a little bit of weight. Um, and then spending way too much time on that main movement. So that leaves them very little time or energy to do their accessory work. So that ends up suffering. Um, and you're not really going to get by doing one rep max, that's not going to make you necessarily stronger. You know, like your accessory work is going to make you stronger. Your dynamic effort days make you stronger because there's a lot more volume. Um, you know, so those are like little mistakes people make and little mistakes I was making, you know, not also not, um, on my dynamic effort days, not going fast enough, you know, so I was kind of like not conditioned. Um, you know, one time Louie had Phil Harrington, and I do that, that video for the combine or whatever that he, that DVD he put out for training for the combine. And so he had us doing our speed squats, like 10 doubles, right into 10 doubles on the on the deadlift with bands and like we, we were on a timer we had to pick up the bar each of us like they were loading the weight so we, we would have the bar out of the rack every 20 seconds like not like every 20 seconds like each of us every 20 seconds so i i mean i had to do that every and then make it look good for the camera too you know and i'm you know as a power lifter with like very little like i i didn't focus much on conditioning at all um, going right into the deadlift. I mean, when I got done with that, it was like one of the hardest workouts I had ever done. And it was just like, this should be like kind of standard, like, you know, maybe for a power lifter, maybe 30 to 40 seconds of rest. But, you know, I thought I didn't rest very long on dynamic effort, but that day like opened up my eyes. I was like, I am a super out of shape, you know, so focusing more on conditioning, GPP, sled work, keeping my, um, dynamic effort work, um, you know, to the true percentages, you know, I think sometimes people use too, too much weight on dynamic effort, um, you know, cause they don't really understand what they should be basing it off of percentages and whatnot, um, or having a skewed idea of what their max is to base their percentages off of. Um, so kind of correcting things like that to, to get my training right helped me so much. And it helped me to help coaching other people too. Do you think if uh, you had started a little bit later, you would have gotten more into this raw deal? Because I remember powerlifting, like you said, uh, was just equipped lifting. And then all of a sudden, geez, it was about like 2013, 2014, yeah. all of a sudden all these raw lifters started coming out. 
And right. now that seems to be kind of the gold standard. Whereas, you know, like, uh, I mean, dude, you got guys squatting a thousand pounds raw, which I never thought we would see. And yeah. it's, uh, it, I mean, it's been pretty like, I mean, like what that guy hit, what, 700 on the bench for a raw bench. And yeah. I mean, we've seen some amazing poundages. Do you think he would have gone in that uh, arena just because it's become so competitive? Probably just because it's that, that, that's what is out there the most, you know, so I probably would have done that. Cause I remember the first day I ever went up to Detroit, I didn't have squat briefs or anything yet. So I went up there and, um, one of the guys helped me, um, he wrapped my knees. So, I mean, I did a raw squat and he wrapped my knees and like the first, and I really didn't do any squatting for bodybuilding. So I was just getting into squatting. And I remember that day he wrapped my knees, he wrapped them so tight, but I squatted 405 and I'm like, I mean, that's a good raw squat for, I was 160 pounds. Um, and you know, with, with more training, um, what could my squat have been raw? You know, I probably would have pursued that definitely. I'm, I am still such an advocate for multiply lifting. I mean, I'm still trying to help keep it alive as much as possible. Um, but I still coach plenty of raw lifters and, um, you know, still to the stake constantly trying to learn, you know, how to, you know, coach raw lifters, you know, still blending some of the conjugate stuff into that. Um, but I do think that I probably would have done that because I, I always wanted to go, you know, even if I found what I was good at, I still wanted to go where the top people were. And, you know, obviously there's still, still top people um, in Multiply. You know, like I, one of my best friends that I coach at the gym, she just got the biggest squat of all time. She squatted 880. Um, you know, so that still excites me so much, you know. Uh, but I still think that if I right now, like was 24 years old and getting into powerlifting, um, with, with, with it the way it is now, I probably would just go with the raw thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's heck of a lot easier, easier. To, with training, <laughs> not to have to put all that crap on, you know, but, um, but I, I am also still very happy that it happened the way it did. I remember, uh, we did a max effort floor press and I think I floor pressed like 500 and I remember yeah. AJ hit 505 and then the next, when they did the next max effort, they put their shirts on and AJ benched in like the nines. Yeah. It was yeah. Like a I believe it. And yeah. I remember being like, holy shit, dude, like there's 400 <laughs> plus pounds of carryover. I mean, there's so much technique and I mean all the other stuff, but I just remember thinking like, fuck. And like the amount of time that these guys had to get, like it took them to lift cause it, you know, and even the shirts are open in the back, but to get them on in this, I mean, it was like an all day deal. I mean, right. these guys were coming in with like roller bags just for all the gear they had. <laughs> all so the gear. Definitely. My, my double bag was huge. And now they make a shirt that's like way beyond even what what like I wore and what is still common that it's like this this band shirt they call it and it's it's giving people even more like there's guys that have a, a raw bench of around 500 that are benching a, a thousand to 1100 in these band shirts it's 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 unbelievable the way the way it's going I mean that's not really that new shirt's not really widely accepted into a lot of federations um, cause there's just so much going on. There's several layers to it and whatnot, but, but that's just, I mean, it's still, it's still, you would think like maybe like with a raw being so popular that maybe the multiply would kind of like level off as far as like advancements and equipment, but it's not, I mean, people, they're still trying to make stuff that, that, uh, allows you to lift, I mean, un unbelievable amounts over, over what you can actually bet. At some point I would think it would have to like stop because like, what can your joints even hold? You know, I don't know, even with all that stuff on. Well, I, um, uh, so I watched the video of Bill Gillespie. What was it like a 1160 on that bench? Well, I saw him do it live, like at I, least a well, thousand pounds. Yeah. I mean, a, but a, what, a month ago, like, as he threw the shirt on 
as he's bringing it down, the shirt is compressing him. And I had this like split vision in my mind all of a sudden of him just like exploding kind of like, in a <laughs> big, t- like, like big trouble, little China. Remember where the guy holds his breath and his head explodes. Like that's, that's what the pressure of like that, like the, uh, the canvas, like stretched across with that weight, like pressing his body down. I just can't imagine the pressure on his head. I mean, as yeah. you know, like the pressure in your head, I remember, uh, um, I had never worn briefs or anything more than wraps. And then uh, Louis gave me some Predator briefs and I squatted off the box of them and it was fine. And then the first time I took uh, uh, just actually a free squat with them, I hit the bottom and the pressure was so like intense. I stood up fast and I almost threw it. I had 800 on my back and I almost uh, threw it oh, off my oh. back. I stood up so fast. And right. the guys that were spotting me almost shit their pants because they were like, <laughs> holy shit, dude, you stood up so fast. The weight almost came off your back. I'm like, all I know is my head was going to explode. It yeah, felt like, oh, yeah. uh, like uh, in, in the cartoons when the dude like hits his thumb and it looks like a thermometer. Like that's <laughs> what it felt like. And uh, broke blood vessels in my eyes. I was like, holy shit. So to be able to handle that pressure is pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's why you see a lot of things that, you know, are great, but things that go, go wrong as well, you know, um, just because you're just riding that line every single time, you know, so all it takes is one one wrong move, like this way or that way, and like you're going to fall or, um, or I mean, I've just seen some pretty catastrophic injuries, unfortunately, too, you know. Wow. Yeah, the, uh, um, I think the, I think like for normal people watching the raw stuff, it's hard for them to fathom. Because they look at these guys and they have all this gear on and like people don't, it almost looks like a robotic suit in a lot of ways. And so I know people watch it. And whereas you see somebody step out, you know, with just some wraps on their knees and a belt and they hit some big weight. I think it's a lot easier. Like that's a bridge closer for most people. Definitely. Definitely. And and like I said, there's some people, some raw lifters that, you know, if they're not hating on it, uh, on equip lifting, they have, they see it and it, they might have an interest in it, but they just do not have the resources around them to be able to even attempt to try it you know so um but you know i know a lot of people that like still think it's that's my dog snoring he's uh-huh. like, I got my, like, <laughs> like i did a podcast once and somebody was like who was snoring in that and i'm like it's my dog sorry <laughs> um but um yeah there, there's a lot of raw lifters that like they they still have a lot of respect for multiply lifting and they just, are just like mind blown by it but and they might have like i said have an interest in trying it but there's just they have nobody to help them even you know, remotely to even get into it, much less be able to see like the technique and how to help them adjust it. Yeah, it's it's not like you just buy something off the internet and yeah. they send you a shirt and then you you figure out like you, one you got to have training partners and two yeah. the amount of coaching. That, that's what I want to get into. Can for our listeners, can you describe the different setup between let's say a raw powerlifting squat and then one that's geared up? How would you best describe for our listeners the difference in in teaching those movements? I mean, mostly it's the stance, like it's, it's the stance and the technique. Um, you know, raw lifters, tech, you know, for the most part, have a more narrow stance. Uh, but a, an equipped lifter to get the most out of the equipment because it's really stiff, like it's there's not a lot of give to it. Um, so you get the most out of it by like let's say sitting back into it. So the technique is very there's no forward shin angle. You want your shin angle to be vertical from the front and from the side, um, just to, for optimal leverage. And you have to hinge back. You have to hinge back and sit back into the suit, to uh, the briefs or the suit or the combination of the both to actually get it to like actually push you out of the hole. So if you were to like take a, uh, like a more narrow stance, like maybe knees forward a bit type of um, stance in the equipment, like to squat out of your quads, basically, like you're not, you're not going to get nearly as much out of um, the equipment and it's going to throw, I mean, 
it's so tight it's going to totally change your technique and throw you into like nearly bent over hunched over whatever so that's why you see a lot of equipped lifters they're wide stance um toes slightly turned out and then they sit back really far into the gear um so their 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 chest the two is like i always think of it as like when you pick the bar up you want to keep your chest right where it's at and hinge back with your hips so you're not going to be like you know perfectly upright. i don't know how a lot of people that are that mobile to be perfectly upright in a wide stance open their hips and just be straight up and down so you're going to hinge um you know so the whole technique of the squat is like that it's very different from a raw squat you know very very different so it's you know sometimes when people do transition from raw into equipped that's usually their hardest thing to grasp is you know a higher bar because you're going to kind of hold the bar not necessarily high bar up in your neck but on the shelf of your rear delts basically um and then having that wide stance um and a lot of times too like you coming from a more narrow stance you a lot of times your hips and glutes are a lot tighter um you know unless you do a ton of mobility work um you know so a lot of times there's a lot of mobility work that has to be done to kind of transition into that wider stance you know i luckily picked it right up i didn't you know didn't have any issues coming lingering from like years of raw squatting or anything like that i kind of like went right into um equipped squatting squatting wide and it felt natural to me probably from you know flexibility and mobility from gymnastics growing up like it did not feel foreign to me to be to have my legs my feet that wide and sit back like it felt completely natural and you know on the bench press the bench press is you know some you know i always tucked my feet back and uh, i was on the balls of my feet and had a big arch you can still do that raw like even i didn't do a whole lot of shirted work in my training i did a lot of raw training um for when I was competing, you know, I, it was sort of like, I understood the shirt. So it was like riding a bike. I didn't need to wear it all the time. I did. I focused more on my raw tech, my, my raw lifting, my raw strength. So I always still had the same setup and technique when I was lifting raw. It's just in a shirt, I touched a lot lower. Like I touched up my sternum with uh, raw with a, with a barbell. But when I was lifting in a shirt, I touched kind of mid stomach. Like you kind of have to, like, you're not going to be able to you know, bring with a shirt being as tight as it is in the chest panel, you have to have a lower touch point. Um, so your technique as far as like the, where you touch and then the press kind of drifting back a little bit um, is different in the equipment. Um, but then the deadlift is, it's very similar. It's just, you don't get a lot out of um, equipment in the deadlift. Like there, there's nothing that they've made yet that um, is that advanced that gives you more than maybe 40, to 50 pounds out of a deadlift suit at most, I would say. Um, you know, so that technique doesn't really change a whole lot. It's just mostly getting used to having a strap that is so tight, straps that are so tight that you can get down into position and not like lose your technique. Do you always, uh, you sumo, didn't you? Because the stance was yeah. similar. Yeah. yeah, sumo felt the most natural to me. And, you know, I think not even that it felt the most natural to me. It's just like leverage wise, like the way I'm built, it just made more sense for me to pull sumo where some people like, that's why when people say sumo is cheating or whatever, they make fun of sumo. I'm like, but the biggest deadlifts ever done were conventional. <laughs> you know, sure. if it was that good, like the biggest lift would be sumo. Um, but I just, I uh, just am built better for sumo. You know, I did a lot of conventional in training because you know, they do help each other. I always try to tell people that, like, even if you're better suited for conventional, you should be pulling, you know, a, you know, often in training sumo because they, they, they do help build each other. So for sumo, it helped me a lot to, to train, you know, and um, maybe 30% of my pulls in training would be conventional. How come uh, powerlifting so 
uh, what's the right word? Um, <laughs> just petty. Like, uh, like you made oh. a point about like talking shit and like this, like yeah. it's, uh, I mean, but, but it, it goes back. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, we interviewed Fred Hatfield and the old power lifter that trained me was a guy, George Zangus. And when I talked to Fred and I had mentioned that I trained with George, he was still pissed at George that he, George had somehow screwed him out of money at some contest. Oh yeah. And like, they were still mad about each other Yeah. and like Louie and this, I mean like Louie, you know, basically mad at dudes for like 50 years. And oh, he's like still mad. Talk- yeah. He's still mad. I, I, I switched federations as far as hosting competitions. I, just, I switched to, back to the APF and Louie just is like, he's like, I can't support it. I can't do it. And he, and, I'm, and we went to breakfast just recently. Uh, I went to breakfast with Louie and Doris and they were explaining to me, he was explaining to me like why. And it stemmed from a, a thing that happened literally back in the seventies. Um, something like that Ernie France, like, um, like their team, like kind of like sabotage the West, West side crew. And, you know, somehow it's like, you know, he thinks that they sabotaged them. And, um, and so he's just real, real mad about it. And so he just can't bring himself to support me to, you know, or send lifters to my meets that are like APS. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, you know, so it's, it's not anything new, obviously. It's, it was that way back then. It's just, you know, it seems new because people put it out online all the time. They got to talk about like the things that they're mad about or things that they hate or, or whatever. But I mean, which is, I mean, so it's always been that way, but it's still probably better maybe than a lot of other sports because I remember getting into powerlifting and being relieved. I was like, oh my gosh, like bodybuilding felt so competitive and so, you know, selfish and like, you know, everybody's kind of like cutthroat and whatever. And nobody was like, really like there was no camaraderie. Um, and so when I switched to powerlifting, it felt a lot better. So, I mean, I think what we see is like, you know, people like, you know, being hateful or this or that, but for the most part, I think that especially people that are really good lifters for the most part are, are genuinely kind and like giving to other people. Like, cause you're just not going to make it to, to the top if you're like kind of a jerk and like, you know, and, burning bridges everywhere you go, you know? Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's something I, I could never figure out. I mean, it's like uh, professional boxing almost. And yeah. it was amazing yeah. where I'm like, man, like the purses aren't very big. Like dudes are winning 500 bucks for a show and people are like fucking attacking people. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, like these are local contests. So it's, uh, yeah. it's, you know, and then, uh, you know, the idea of federations and like, I'm better because it just was really interesting where I'm like, man, this feels just real, like complex. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's about like a bunch of people just getting together to see who's the strongest individual. Yeah. And but I don't want to be that guy like that's that. like, yeah, I don't want to be that person that's like, uh, Oh, back in my day it was so much better. But, um, but it was, there was like, like I said, there was like everybody lived in the APS or people lived in like the USAPL or something. Um, there wasn't a lot of like a whole bunch of other, there was like real, real small little like federations, but they weren't popular at all. Like, you know, so for the most part, everything was like, you know, I would consider pretty united. Now it's just literally, I mean, it, it makes me sad because there's just so many federations. Everything's so split up that it's hard because here I am running a, you know, the women's meet where it's like, you know, I have, we're up to like, you know, more than $12,000 in prize money that we give out for women. Um, yet I still, I get a lot of top lifters, but I'm so surprised that I don't get more. Um, and, and it's just mostly because like, people will pick this federation that like, this is the federation that I'm loyal to, um, you know, these other federations. So it's like, 
I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a bummer in that regard. I wish it was a little more um, united like that so that you could uh, go to a competition that's big and actually compete against all the top people in the country or in the world that are um, in your weight class. Now it's like, you know, you can go to a national championship or a world championship for, for a federation and, you know, I mean, and there's just really not many people in your, in your class, you know, so it's not as, com- you know, competitive in that way. You know, that's what I loved about, you know, that's why I wanted to be in the WPO back then, because it was literally like the top people in the world will be at this, at this meet. There's, you know, no other thing, you know. So, uh, like, what's the big sell, like for, especially for uh, female powerlifting? Is it, uh, you know, because people have exposed to barbells and I've always thought that if you put barbells around people, eventually people will want to see who's the strongest or yeah. more importantly, how strong they can get. It's just kind of the natural, like, like nobody's sitting there looking at the barbell and being like, well, I can thrust her that 45 times. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, no, I'm, I, I want to know, like, yeah, I want to know how much I can do for one or how I can do for, for yep. a few. So, I mean, it, uh, is that an easier sell or you think it's a harder sell for women? Um, I think, I mean, it's probably easier. I think like now it is becoming like so much more accepted and not, and not like people don't really look at females when they have muscle as being like gross or whatever. I mean, like it was, I think back when I was like bodybuilding and stuff, like being muscular, I would go places and people would just like kind of get these looks like, my God, like, why would you ever want to be that bulky or whatever? Now it's like, I have old ladies, you know, not, and I'm not even like as big as I was before. Um, you know, old ladies will be like, oh my gosh, you know, I just love your muscles and, you know, stuff. I mean, people will stop you now. Like it's, it's just become, and I don't really, like I said, I can't really pinpoint exactly why that happened, but now it is becoming like a lot more, you know, I don't know, accepted or whatever for females to be more muscular. So therefore, so nobody's afraid now to like lift heavier. Before it was like, I can't lift heavy because I'll get bulky. You know, yeah. no, you, you did you did not want to have like, like a tricep or a bicep or shoulders or whatever, or, or not have a thigh gap or something like now it's like, Oh, okay. So I'm not going to look, look, be looked at like, you know, weird. So they get, they get rid of that. And then they start to like, you enjoy that look and then, you know, being, you know, being stronger just comes with the territory. So it's like, nobody's really afraid now to like get bulky or whatever by lifting heavy. Um, they're starting to like actually enjoy and understand, like, I'd say for the most part, men in the sport are really supportive. So it's like when you're in this, you, when you get into it and you realize that men are like encouraging you to, um, you know, get bigger or be stronger or like when you do a big lift, it's are super supportive. You know, when we have the women's program, we have all those women there. There are men that come from all over, like other male power lifters that come and they love coming. They love watching it. They love supporting it. You know, so I don't know. I just think that, that, uh, it's just, it's just kind of all come to a head where it's just like now it's yeah, really cool to want to like, instead of like just doing light high reps to tone, it's like, let's see, see how strong I am. So, so like with our CrossFit gym that we have in Cincinnati, it's like, we do, we lift heavy. It's not like, you know, we, we focus a lot on strength and it was really cool to be able to see cause we opened in 2013. So things are still kind of like, you know, maybe starting to become okay, like more acceptable for women to, like that want to lift heavier. Um, to see like these women that join the gym that are just, you know, moms and, you know, really maybe no athletic background, uh, where if we do like a one rep max that day of like, um, a deadlift, we, we, we have them do everything. We do like a deadlift against chains or something like that. And they're getting into it. They're keeping logs of what they did before. Um, it was really cool at that time, you know, when things are still kind of transitioning to be able to watch, 
watch women in our own gym in that environment get really into lifting heavy. And then you'd find them coming, like making, do I do personal training in our, in the other gym, which was like right next door, um, making appointments to come do personal training. They're like, I want to get stronger. So like they started doing like personal training sessions to, um, do extra work in addition to the CrossFit classes, uh, to like build up their, their maximal strength. You know, so it's it's been pretty cool to watch that like kind of firsthand. Do you, do you have women uh, that are specifically coming to the gym to be competitive powerlifters? I mean, or is it just you know, hey, here's some CrossFit, uh, you know, moms and different girls showing up, and now all of a sudden I'm sucking them away and oh, trying to yeah, ro- no. romance them into strength. Yeah, no, I, like I for our CrossFit gym, it's a little different because they can still be a part of CrossFit and still have that aspect of. Um, strength because our, our weeks are laid out max effort lowers on Monday and dynamic effort uh, upward is on Tuesday, you know, so they're still getting that. Like they don't feel like, like I need to get away from CrossFit to get somewhere else where I can focus on strength. They're still getting a lot of that focus in our CrossFit classes. So in the, in the powerlifting gym that we have all, we have a ton of women, the women dominate, <laughs> dominate the gym in some regards, you know, no offense to the guys, but like, you know, we've had a lot more world records come out of the gym for females Um, and I don't know if it's just because like I, you know, had the world records and it just attracted women, but people started moving to the gym. I, I, that's why like when in 2014, I was just like, I need to start focusing on coaching these people because these people are moving here. Like there's, I had a girl that one girl that moved from Memphis, one girl that moved from Boston, one girl that moved from Detroit. Um, one girl was driving down from, um, Dayton every day. Like, you know, these people are like traveling in because they want to be at this gym where, you know, where I'm training, but also where the, we, you know, we also were known for having a lot of knowledge to help other people get stronger. So when it comes to our powerlifting gym, it definitely, um, you know, I, I would say there's not many at all that we've, um, acquired from CrossFit actually. Um, it's mostly just been people that come you know, the females, especially that come just as powerlifters and wanting to be powerlifters. So as, as a coach now, and you have athletes that are pushing or beating your world records, how does that make you feel? Do you get excited or like, uh, you go look at your gear and you're like, dust this off. You would think people ask me that all the time. And like, like even like just when we had this program this last time and, and my, like I said, my friend Leah, who got that squat record everybody's like don't you just want to and i'm like nope i this this <laughs> i like this a lot more and that's actually what happened um back like when i think i decided i was not going to compete anymore was i was coaching um, my training group that i had and there was a girl in my training group that i just was like from the time she started i was like this girl she just has i don't know this natural ability to she just ever she just picks things up really well and so i just like she's just going to be something i know it and um so i'm coaching her through you know training sessions and meets and stuff and then i was like i then it became my goal instead of like me picking out a meet and picking you know trying to break a different kind of world record i was like i think i can get her because i was like i said the only female that did 11 times body weight total um and i was like i think i can get her to beat that you know she was in a different weight class than me so she wasn't we were really like she was she was a much lower weight class than me so it wasn't like it was like trying to coach her to break one of my world records it was just like what can we do to beat me and it was like 
got a total more than 11 times body weight. And I remember at, the, at a competition, um, I was actually at one of the women's programs. She totaled 11.2 times body weight. And the feeling that I had, like, kind of solidified my decision to not go back to powerlifting. I got more, I got just as much or more joy out of that, like when she did that, than, um, than if it was myself. So I was like, okay, this is, this is what I like to do now, you know? So, so yeah, she ended up beating my, um, my 11 time body weight total. And now we actually have another girl at the gym. Um, she's little, she's weighed in at what, 97 pounds and she totaled 11 point, I don't know, something more than me. So it's kind of like, you know, now, you know, coaching these people to kind of outdo my list has been pretty cool and having the girl to get the biggest squat of all time, you know, and what was cool about her squat too was it got a lot of attention um, on social media or whatever, like a lot of attention, even from raw lifters, they were just like, man, like, like this is huge. This is, this is such a awesome, like feat of, a you know, such an awesome accomplishment. Um, and she also did it really well. It was like a beautiful technique. It was deep. It was, you know, there weren't there weren't raw lifters coming out of the woodwork trying to question like oh my god this high squad because that's what you see a lot it's like you know just so much hate on depth you know regardless of like the fact that they're wide and like you know from the side you know what they don't really understand what um like breaking parallel is you know you don't have to break it by four inches you know but anyway her squat was very deep it was um, very technical. It was very pretty. So it was kind of cool that like, here's this equip lifter doing something no one's ever done, but like a lot, a, she got a lot of attention for that front for that from a lot of people, you know, did, um, I mean, you traveled up to Westside and, uh, you know, Louie kind of helped you with all your training or I assume helped you yeah. a ton with your training. Yep. Uh, and as we were talking about earlier, the idea of Westside, which kind of exists in Columbus, uh, how have you kind of put your own spin on that kind of West side, uh, you know, max effort dynamic accessory in such a way to kind of make it and personalize it yourself and what you've kind of seen within the shortcomings? Because I mean, there are things that when I looked at it and when we started using it, I was like, ah, I think it'll work better in this way. And I liked it this right. way. And I think everybody finds their own adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it took me a while, like coming out of doing it one way, you know, that, that is ideal for equipped lifters to, and, you know, maybe ideal for myself, uh, to like kind of adjust it, you know? So it was just like, even during my time at Westside, like, I mean, I remember like going up there on a max effort lower day and, um, it'd be before Louie came in, um, or maybe Louie was already there, went home and came back, um, and doing like a free squat. I remember like he walked in and we were doing like some sort of straight bar, free squat maybe against chains or something like that and he just lost his mind because we were free squatting like i mean especially at the time he's a little more flexible now but at the time it was just like everything has to be on a box everything has to be in a box like box squat dynamic box squat you know and then max effort you know these dudes are doing like deadlifts and good mornings you know there's just no practice for squatting you know and i'm not thinking like i have to squat you know i have to practice like I have to, you know, technique is my thing. So if I'm not practicing it, like I'm not trying to like lose my technique by only box squatting. So I was like trying to like be a little rebellious with it at the time. And, um, you know, which led me into years and years of just like experimenting with, you know, max effort days, like doing more squatting and not, you know, just good mornings or just deadlifts or whatever. So doing more of like a classic mixture of the three. Um, and then, 
you know, at our gym, we have like probably 50% raw lifters and still we still have like a lot of equipped lifters. Um, but then coaching a lot of raw lifters online, I've had to just really evolve over the years and try to learn how to like keep it conjugate. But um, I don't know, just to kind of evolve and adapt it for like for raw lifting. So on dynamic effort days, like I don't have my raw lifters always on a box. You know, there are some waves, three week waves that we, we do box squats because I do think that there is a place for box squatting, like even for raw lifters, you know, building their hip strength and, um, you know, glutes and hamstrings, but anything posterior chain. So we do do it sometimes, but a lot of their uh, waves of dynamic effort uh, lower are free squat variations, pause squats, um, just different repetition work on dynamic effort day. Um, and then on max effort day. Now I, I do have some raw lifters that I'll do, you know, some linear type stuff, like maybe right after a meet, you know, we kind of like rotate, you know, I hate to say block training guide cause I'm just it, spent years of Louie just talking about like, you know, block periodization, which I'm not like, I'm just not using block in that, in that context, but you know, where we do some, you know, just repetition work, you know, for a while. Um, and then leading into more of conjugate type work, because I do believe conjugate does work for raw lifters. Um, because I've had raw lifters come to me after doing years and years and years of, you know, periodization and then switching them from right, right off of periodization into classic, like, um, conjugate system. Again, still not just always box squatting, but having them work up just like one rep max variations on, you know, bench squat deadlift, um, with accommodating resistance and seeing incredible results. I'm not saying that that is how they should train every single week for the entire year. So that's why I kind of play with like, you know, some linear type work, um, during different parts of their off season. Um, so, you know, just really just kind of adapting it to different raw lifting, equip lifting, um, equipped, equipped lifting, you know, is still very classic conjugate, um, always on a box on dynamic effort lower, but on max effort lower, uh, doing a lot more free squatting, um, you know, deadlift variations, you know, doing some good mornings, but like having the, um, equivalent lifters do, you know, practice what they're going to do in a competition, you know? So, um, it's still, you know, it still follow a very, you know, pretty classic template, but adjusting certain things in that way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it, it's a technical movement and I never felt that my technique, uh, in a free squat necessarily benefited from the box. Yeah. Like because yeah. the stretch shortening cycle and that whole deal, I mean, taking it out. And I remembered being like, you know, the position that you can sit into raw on a box is not a position that you can necessarily get into <laughs> right. in a free squat. So right. I mean, like there were some inherent problems in it. Like yeah. I understand, you know, the, the balance and, uh, you know, especially if you're dealing with injuries and I've had, you know, guys with beat up knees and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, Great you know, for free, that. Yeah. No, it's good. Cause you can set the depth and hit it. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, uh, too much of a good thing. Like you have to be able to move and be able Definitely. to do different things with it. Yeah. That's what we found. Even with our athletes at, at, at our own gym was, it was just like, they, if we were having them box squat every week, it was like, they were just kind of forgetting how to squat. You know, they, it was just altering their technique and changing things. So it was like, okay, let's, you know, box squat, you know, some, and you can even just do box squat as accessory work, you know, like, um, rather than having it as like your, your, your primary movement. Um, because, you know, I think that box squatting does help with like hip and glute strength for lockout and deadlift. Uh, you know, so it does have its place, you know, in some way, but having it be the, the primary movement, like at week after week after week, like you said, like it does change your technique. It, um, it just, yeah, changes your positioning completely. Well, we're on programming. I understand you're exploring with some remote online programming. 
How has that challenged you as a coach? Oh, uh, it's, I mean, it's definitely like just like kind of what, what I was just saying about, um, having to experiment and because I've been doing remote coaching actually since about 2013. So, I mean, and I, if anybody know, you know, has been with me that long, it's like they've seen things change and adapt and evolve and, and whatnot in those regards, you know, cause probably back in 2013, I, I know I was having everybody box squat all the time and, you know, and whatnot. So then it was just over the years, it's like raw lifting became more popular. I started getting a lot more raw lifters as, as clients and things and, and whatnot. So I had to like learn as I went, you know, it was, it was pretty wild because conjugate ruled the world back then. It was just like everybody, most people did conjugate and it was like, Oh, wait a minute. We have to like be more open-minded and, and learn a lot more and, you know, be more individualistic with people, you know um, you know, so I do kind of do, I have the subscription, you know, where, you know, I post the, the program. So it is, it's, not necessarily individualized because, you know, there's multiple people joining and doing the same thing. Um, but I keep that very well-rounded. So I always tell people, I'm like, I know it, even, even if, you know, cost is an issue and you can't do like the totally individualized programming, the, uh, subscription, I, I, it's very classic. Like it's well-rounded. I'm not, you know, I'm not neglecting anything. So if I'm doing accessory work, I'm, you know, making sure everything hits your, your, glutes, your spinal rectors, your hamstrings, you know, and then talking about like triceps, flats, you know, I keep it well-rounded so that, you know, anybody could start that and make progress. Usually, you know, they'll do that for, you know, several months. I mean, six months, a year, whatever, and make great progress. And once they feel like they need to like get into something more individualized, then they'll come to me and like, we'll, we'll do something a little more individualized um, that's geared towards their weaknesses and, and, you know, meat prep and where they're at in off season, you know, so um, you know, I've kind of always kind of laid it out that way where there's like subscription and then individualized programming. And then I do personal training and, and, but my, my clients for personal training at um, the gym, like people assume like sometimes when they join up with me at personal training, they're like, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to power lift. I'm like, actually 99% of my clients are, you know, people that just want to be in shape, you know, um, that's not to say that I haven't had clients that come in just wanting to stay in shape and like, um, you know, maybe for physique purposes, uh, but end up doing a powerlifting meet because they like they they're in that environment. They see the powerlifters over there lifting, and then they just get all like, you know, super interested in in it. You know, I have my aunt who's 60 years old. She ended up doing a bench press meet because she thought it looked cool, and she was like, I want to get stronger. You know, so that kind of helps too. Having people come in and they get exposed to that environment, and even if they don't end up getting into it, they're super intrigued. They respect it. They see the work that goes into it. So just always trying to spread the word. <laughs> do, you, do you still get a chance to go down to Westside? And I mean, you said you went down and had a, a lunch with Louie and Doris, but do you still go down there and train or? I uh, haven't been, I haven't gone up there to train uh, in, a, in a while. Like I've been up there for like work purposes or whatever, meeting up with Louie, but I haven't been there to train. I don't really, I mean, I don't even, I haven't worn a pair of briefs or a bench shirt or anything like that in so long. Like, if I went up there, I don't even know what I would do, you know? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. do kind of my own thing down here. <laughs> well, it's kind of like if uh, if you're not training or you're not, like, you know, going into some meet or doing something, like, that doesn't fit with that environment. It feels like everybody there is... Oh, know, yeah. Trying, it's like you feel like, like an odd man out. It's like, I sh I, something's not right here, and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, I mean, uh, I've uh, I always thought, like, so, you know, Louis has got to be, what, in his 70s now? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's like at least 75, maybe 75. Yeah. 
Is he slowing down at all? He, I mean, he is. Like when I have uh, breakfast with Louie and Doris, because we usually meet like halfway and we'll have breakfast. And um, and she, when he went to the bathroom, she said she's like, "This has been a really hard year. He's had some operations and some heart issues." And um, she said she's just like he's this year especially he's really 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 slowed down. So I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know that, you know, up until, I would say until you're like 70, he would, oh, he, he was still lifting maximally. <laughs> like he would still go to the gym, max out his rack pool or whatever he wanted to do that day. Um, but I'm not even sure. He, he does a lot of, he will always probably do like all of his like, you know, like mobility type exercises that he does and these like odd little things that he likes to do. Um, but I don't think that he lifts heavy anymore. Yeah. He, uh, last time I saw him, we were there for, God, lead FTS it? seminar. Yeah, lead FTS deal. Speaking event. Yeah, we, we cruised yeah. in. Yeah, that had to be four or five years ago, maybe. 2014. God, was it 2014? Oh, wow. <laughs> Seven years ago. Yeah, and I remember he, um, he what did he tell me? He said that he was having an issue where every time we racked the bar out, he was uh, blacking out. Yeah. And so yeah. he's like, you know, like the cervical loading of the spine was doing something where the weight was just kind of just basically turning him off. Right. And, uh I was like, so what are you doing? Are you, and he's like, well, I'm just, you know, pulling heavier now. And he's yeah, like, I was gonna say, cervically... he'll just deadlift heavier. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I can't cervically load I, or I can't cervically load, uh, take any cervical loading from the bar. So he was like looking for different ways. And I, uh, I just remember thinking like, God damn, if, uh, if I, I can have this level of longevity, toughness, and just all around hard headedness, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. All I know is that whatever whatever he's doing right now is everything he can. You know what I mean? He's not taking it easy. Like he's just doing whatever is physically possible according to his capabilities right now is what he'll do <laughs> until he, like he always says he's like, I'm going to die a chalky death or whatever. You know, he's going to just die right in there, you know? Yeah. That was uh, old man Zang has died underneath the bench. He had yeah. a heart attack under the bench and you know, oh, at his funeral, they were like, eh, he actually went out. You know, exactly. Yeah, exactly how I wanted. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so what? Uh, uh, well, I got one oh, yeah, yeah. question connected. Laura, you were part of West Side versus the World. What was that experience like? Were you satisfied with the product they put out? Was it ex- representative of your experience in time there? Um. So I mean, I th- I remember going to watch it when it first debuted, and I was like, I loved it. It was just like this really cool, like you know, perspective of West side. And, um, and I saw myself on there and like, in my mind, I was like, Oh my God, I made it on there. You know, cause there was a lot of filming. Like there was, it took a lot of years for that to come out. I remember it came out years and years after, like not years and years, but it was, it took a while, like after we'd actually filmed like interviews and stuff like that. Um, so when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, I made it in there. I was, I was just happy. But afterwards the people, friends, people that saw it, um, you know, everybody literally was like, they were pissed. They were like, why was there not more about the women? You know, and I never thought of it like that. I never like got to the end of it and was like, oh, I wasn't on there enough or there wasn't enough, you know, I, until they said that. And I was like, you know what, like they're, these people are interested in what the women there did. Cause even on the, on the, um, on the documentary, they said they're like, the women were more, have been the most dominant of Westside when it comes to world records and, world championships, things like that. The women have been the most dominant, but here we got like the very talent. It was just like this, like at the end, we'll just throw the women in there real quick, you know, and give them a little, a little acknowledgement, you know? So now, you know, seeing how many people, you know, saw that and noticed that 
and how they wanted to see more of the women. I was just like, now I'm kind of, you know, a little bummed out that they didn't, um, you know, incorporate more of the women's stuff. Like, from the beginning of the film, they could have like gone way back to like even Doris's day with Westside and, um, and Amy's start at Westside, you know, Amy was on there, but like, you know, taking her way back to when she first started, um, would, I think it would have been cooler. And I think that a lot more people would appreciate it and, um, have enjoyed it a lot more to see the women's stuff, you know, they need to make another one. Westside women versus the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, people always suggest that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when they came to interview me, um, you know, they were doing it, and it wasn't until I mean, it was years later where all of a sudden it got released, yeah. and like somebody yeah. hit me up, and I was like, "Oh, I remember doing that interview." <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it, it oh, just, yeah. Yeah. It was. I mean, it had to be five, six, seven years. I mean, uh, yeah. What that came out? What two or three years ago? Three, four years. Yeah, ago? Like, I think like 2018, maybe. Yeah. I think we probably did those interviews in like maybe 14. Yeah, absolutely. It was yeah. it was it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I guess it just takes a long time. Uh, yeah. Do you think it did a good representation? You think it was fair? Uh, I mean, I think so. I mean, I really, my, I have a different. I actually just did like a little thing with like Tom for West Side, and he like they, people ask me that they're like, you know, what was your experience like with Louie or at West Side? And I'm like, I have a very different one that I think most people. Did. Like, you know, you see West Side versus the World and you just think, man, it was like hardcore people fighting, like drugs, like, you know, it's just like this, like, like people envision this, like just crazy madness going on. And, you know, me getting into it and started tr starting to train there in 2015, I never moved there to train there. I literally just would travel up there on the weekends to train. You know, so I kind of in like, let's say Sunday mornings when I would train, I would train with George, Hal George Halbert and the bench crew. So we were there before anybody else. Um, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't really in the mix of like the Friday morning guys crew or anything like that. You know, so I, you know, I would always hear about the drama that was, you know, happening, you know, with certain people or whatever. But my experience was always good. Like it was always like pleasant. I, my experience with Louie was always pleasant. Like he, we have like, a more soft, you know, a softer relationship. You know, there's times that he's, you know, just expressed so much like compassion and just, you know, just, I don't know, just joy. And, you know, so I, I really don't have those like wild, you know, memories or experiences, you know, so me watching the, the documentary was almost educational for me too. I mean, I, there were things that I always heard about and, and whatnot. So, I mean, to me, it was like, oh, I, I heard about that. I heard about that. So it seemed very accurate to me. Um, but I don't know if that's anybody else's opinion, but I, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> no, I thought it was great. I thought they did yeah, a great representation. Definitely. Came out 2019 is when it okay. was released. Yeah, 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 that would make sense. No, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, uh like m my vision of West side was, uh, you know, the old power lifter I trained with George Zang has had a reverse hyper. Uh, he was buddies with Louie and Louie sent him one of the prototypes and so we had a reverse hyper in his garage when I was like 14, 15, 16 years old. And uh, so I'd heard about Westside. And then my roommate in college had all the bench videos and like, you oh, know, yeah. like the VHS tapes. The VHS tapes, oh yeah. <laughs> so we used to watch the VHS tapes on like, um, you know, and the, it was like, it, like if somebody has them, like we, we should dig, dig us some clips. It was absolutely like the worst VHS handheld camcorder like Louis, like the it, it it was like this weird, like um, like have you seen the movie Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth? Like, did you ever see that movie? No. Where he was a cop undercover and there were bikers 
Like as you're watching it, you're not sure if these guys are like criminals, cons, bikers. Uh, like it was just the like like something out of like it just a homemade. Yeah, they were really <laughs> oh, hundred percent homemade. There was nothing high quality yeah. about it, and oh. and you couldn't understand it. Like I mean, I got those VHS tapes before I even you know as soon as I decided to pursue powerlifting and I watched them and I was just like, how, I mean, how am I going to take this information and like turn it into training? I have no clue. Like it was yeah. just like, I'm just watching these guys train and like Louis talking and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, uh, same. So at yeah. the end it would be like, you know, there was like a, you know, screen would come up and it say Westside barbell and there was a phone number and I've told the story, but uh, I called Louie, I called the number. And because I didn't understand what the fuck they were talking yeah. about, you know, and Lou picks up and he's like, hey, this is, you know, hey, this is Westside. I'm like, uh, hey, uh, you know, and I like told him and it was Louie. And uh, he actually sat down in about 10 minutes, gave me a game plan on how to bench 500. And I benched 500 that, that year. Wow. And wow. It, was, it was basically like, I just want you to do nothing but heavy dumbbells. It was yeah. like floor press dumbbells, dumbbells, dumbbells. How, how, uh, how heavy did the dumbbells go up to him? I, I think we got 180s. He's like, great. And it was, everything was like dumbbell uh, push pull accessory this and uh, I ended up benching 500 and like it was like you know me writing it on like a piece of paper talking to some dude <laughs> and, and, you know because we didn't have long distance so I called from my strength coach's office kind of a deal so that's so funny but that's I mean that's how Louis is to this day like you can call his house like and he will he'll talk to you on the phone those people are always mind blown by that they're like like Louis. I got to talk to Louie on the phone and he talked to me for like an hour and I'm like, I know, like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. And then, uh, when, when I met him, uh, you know, I told him and I feel like he, I, I, I knew he didn't remember it cause I can't imagine how many people have called him and then he's like, what? You know, and I'm like, it doesn't matter that you remember it or not. I remember it. And it was impactful. And, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. We went out there for that Dave Tate thing. Remember he was like a typical Louie holding court with all these coaches. And then we walked in and he totally blew those fucking people all off. And he's like, ah, let's talk to some real athletes. And I'm like, well, thank God you still think of an athlete. <laughs> yeah. That was, oh that was a unique, unique experience. Yeah. Holding co court, educating, uh, to the small room on the left. And then as soon as Wellborn pops out, who's ahead above all these guys, he just, all right, I'm going to ignore the rest of you. So, <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of people there for that elite FTS event that just dropped in, and he just ignored all of them in the, his athletes that were training yeah. just to spend time. Yeah, no, it was great. He, uh, um, you know, he was over there ripping off all the Charlie Francis GPP med ball stuff and trying to pass it off as his own. And I called him on yeah. that shit, oh, and no. he was like fucking laughing. Mm. He's like, ah, oh, these idiots don't know who that is. I mean, it's just great. It's uh, uh, always happy. Like he, uh, like has always been um, so open arms and just so uh, oh, yeah. like, friendly and nice. I've been telling Tex we got to jump in the car and go up there and get him on the podcast one of these days for some bad. Happens. Yeah, one of the one of the two times that I that he did travel to teach that that CrossFit powerlifting course, um, and I was with him. Uh, we were on the plane to come back, and there was this guy that was like Louis Simmons, like this you know, recognize him and, and Louis like shook his hand, obviously doesn't know who this guy is, but the guy was like, you don't know me, but back in whatever year it was, it was years ago. He's like, I, um, called you, called your office or whatever. And actually I could do back. I think he was like in the military and he hurt his back so bad. He, he could like barely walk. And, um, he's like, you sent your, he sent him a recycler for free, probably cause he was in the military. I don't know. Just because he's like, 
it's little things like that. Like he's like, you sent me a reverse hyper. He's like, and it literally changed my life. And, you know, watching this happen, watching this guy tell Louie that, Hey, you changed my life all these years ago by literally being so generous, like send him a reverse hyper for free. Like, you know, um, you know, so when anybody is always like, Oh, you know, especially the guys that get disgruntled and leave Westside and they're all like, Louis sucks and he's so mean. And I'm like, ah, I've seen very, very different sides of Louis, something like that. I've seen him like he won't ever talk about like the fact that he'll load up his car with shoes and clothes and all this stuff and go to like the worst parts of Columbus and, you know, give it to homeless people. And like, you know, like, but I mean, I only know that because Amy happened to see him do it. You know, he'll never tell anybody that, you know? Yeah, no, he's uh uh, what I think people forget is that he understands the environment that he wants to create for the highest level of competition. And that involves, you know, mind games yeah. and this. Sometimes and I mean, right. I mean, yep. he's the, he's the puppet master for it all. And this is his world and he wants to control it. And he puts these individuals and finds them and brings people in and this, and has this, you know, this understanding of what he's trying to do. And it's very, uh, like, I guess you could say it's very planned in a lot of ways. And yeah. I think these guys get pissed because, um, you know, and it's kind of a sad deal, but they're kind of puppets in his bigger game. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is the glory of West Side and this is what they're going to do. And he's going to set these dudes on the altar and, and uh, well, you know, and, and it's the glory for it. And these guys show up and this, they want to be the best. You got to play. You got to enter the crucible. And if you survive, you'll come out the other side. And if you don't. There's a little, you know, you get sent off to the island of uh, Misfit Toys. Yeah, two thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, they're not coach- paying to be there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah, invitational. They're, they're not paying to be there. He's, yeah, it's invitational. They're not paying a membership. He's paying your entry fees and all this stuff. So, yeah, if you if you can't hang or whatever, don't be surprised if he kicks well, you out. You and know? it shouldn't be for everybody. That's where I think we get yeah. into this deal where it's like uh, not everybody's guaranteed greatness. Like you have right. to go and seize it and take it from the next guy. And he's putting you in an environment and giving you an opportunity. And uh, if you can't you know, survive it, then who, you know, like you, you're an adult, you showed up, nobody forced you there. Like you're going into this thing. And then these guys, like you said, get all bitter. And it's like, you're bitter because you didn't meet the potential that he laid out. That's, that's right. So coaching is taking people where they can't take themselves. So he still Mm -hmm. saw something in them and was holding him to that expectation. But then miss, miss disgruntled athletes happen. They, they screwed. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, pretty so crazy. Is, <laughs> is there an opportunity to for you to recreate? You think, uh, and not to say that you would recreate Westside, but kind of what you're doing in that type of uh, mentorship to be able to take you know female lady powerlifters to a, a high level and kind of do something that almost mirrors. I mean, because if you think Westside is by far, you know, one of the most influential and powerful organizations to ever enter into this thing, do you think you could right. do something similar, or is that the you know, That's kind of plan. the goal. I mean, I like I feel like our gym definitely, um, you know, like it's like people always say that they're like you're, you're just like a cleaner West Side, you know. It's like cleaner and like you know, and it's not even that clean, you know. But um, you know, that well, if you've ever been to West Side, that's you know, experience. like you're going to get a tetanus shot, like if you get yeah. fucking oh if you rub up to anything. Sure. Really seriously, I'm always was like, oh, I gotta get, take everything off when I leave here, and like. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, definitely. Like that's, that's absolutely what we're trying to create is like, is that environment and that, I mean, it is different though, because these people are paying a membership and they, you know, you know, half of them do have regular jobs and real lives, you know, that they sometimes get in the way, but, you know, still being able to identify and take those people that do have that it factor or whatever, and, and are able to like 
you know, go to that level and fostering that, you know, probably in a much less hardcore way, you know, just because, like I said, it's, people are paying a membership or, you know, so it's like you can't really do some of the things that Louis did with, the, you know, the people with, like, because yeah, he did, like you said, the mind games, like, he was very strategic and, like, people maybe saw it as, like, you know, um, I don't know, whatever, but, like, it, 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 he did everything for a reason, you know, so, um, but, yeah, we're definitely trying to, to create athletes like that that, you know, we have, you know, the 97-pound world record holder at the gym. We have a 123 girl who broke the world record squat in total. Um, the girl that I coached to the 11-time body weight total, she had world records in everything, squat, bench, deadlift, total. Um, and then now having Leah with that big, the biggest squat ever, it's just like, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely, you know, we've kind of found a way to do that without being exactly the way Westside is set up. You know, Louis made his money off of equipment and stuff like that. Like we don't have that luxury of like, you know, the gym being able to be free and whatnot, but um, yeah, still being able to get a similar level of success um, with people that are there that like, yeah, have real jobs there, you know, all of the listeners I know that, that we've had that have broken world records, they have full-time jobs, you know, they're not, you know, bouncing at a strip club at night and then sleeping, you know, during the day. Um, you know, these are people that, you know, have college degrees and, um, you know, have, you know, nine to five jobs and are coming in, you know, or own their own businesses. We do have morning crews of people that those are usually people that have their own business and train in the morning and go to work um, or they work all day and come in in the evening. Yeah, we think, uh, at least when I talked to Louie, I mean, he, he followed the Jesse James model, uh, whereas um, uh, Jesse's my neighbor up the road, but uh, he made his money selling Westside, uh, or sorry, uh, West Coast Choppers t-shirts. Yeah, So yeah. Because, you know, like he, he only made a certain amount of bikes and they're super expensive, right, so very few people right. could own a West, uh, West Coast Chopper, but everybody could buy a t-shirt and then yeah. they went into Walmart and he got a huge deal selling all the West Side, uh, or sorry, West Coast Chopper shirts. Similar deal, like not everybody gets to train at West Side, not everybody gets yeah. to, but everybody can buy a t-shirt. And so when totally. Louie told me that, I'm like, it's a Jesse James uh, West Coast Choppers model, man. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you can like have this other thing you got going on and you can run it however you want to. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Side hustle. Yeah. yeah. Makes yeah. sense. <laughs> All right. So what, uh, what's the next big yeah. event for you guys? Or is there any way we can support you in any way to shed any light? And um, I'm just thinking I mean, like, uh, like as a father of, uh, I got twin girls that are nine. And like the thing that I really love today is that uh, we foster a culture of strength. And like my daughters mm -hmm. know that like being strong is fundamental. And, uh, you know, like, you know, we lift weights, we have a you know, pretty big gym here at the house and it's, uh, you know, like strong women is definitely like at the forefront of what we, uh, you know, hold dear. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause, uh, my wife's in pretty phenomenal shape and she trains and the girls see that. And then they wonder why these other moms like don't do that type of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, oh, they, yeah. they don't have this culture of strength. Like this is who we are. And you know, right. even, even during COVID I was, uh, we watched Conan and the barbarian and I'm like the riddle of steel and you know, just all of these <laughs> hilarious things that I drop on them that now when they get older, they're like, my dad was such a dork, but like, how do we help? And more importantly, like how do we put more word out there to be able to try to support you in any way we can? I mean, I like the biggest event I have is, is that women's powerlifting competition. It's always every April. So it'll be April 13th, that weekend of 2022. Um, and we just try to like, and I, what I always tell people is it's like, if you're interested in like 
doing a competition or whatever, this is like the best first competition that a female can do. Cause you're, I mean, it's the amateur day. So it's not, it's not for like pro, the pro day is the second day. Yes. You have to have a qualifying pro total, but that amateur day, the, the environment is, I mean, and I know I'm biased or whatever, but you can ask anybody who's there. It's unbelievable. It's so supportive. The crowd goes crazy for every girl that's up there. Um, you know, there's just a lot of help and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of times if you just pick out a meet, you know, like this would be your first competition or whatever, and it's just a mixed competition. Um, it's intimidating. Like everybody's kind of doing their own thing where this is, it's just a little bit different. It's just everybody's there for each other. And, um, it's, there's just no other atmosphere like it. Um, and this is, that's me saying it, but I mean, anybody who's been there would say the same thing would agree. Um, you know, so it's definitely, I definitely recommend that people like, you know, if it's, if it, if you're, if you're thinking about doing a competition, you know, sign up for it. We'll probably have registration out, um, later this year, probably usually around October or November. Um, and even if you just watch it online, we usually live stream it, um, or, or whatnot online. Um, it's just, it's just a really cool thing. Like I've had a lot of people, I just live streamed it on Facebook this past year. So a lot of people watch it. A lot of people just like having to say, Oh, she's got something live and they watch it and they're just like, Oh my God, that is so cool. You know? So, you know, I just think that hosting that every year just kind of is one way of helping, you know, kind of reach people. Um, but me personally, I always, you know, I'm just, I, I always am constantly promoting women's powerlifting, women's strength, you know, whether it's through personal training or online coaching or having the women's competition, that's just like kind of my passion and my goal is to grow women's strength, not necessarily women's powerlifting, but just women's strength in general. So, you know, that event and then just, you know, any, any, you know, individual coaching or anything that I do, that's kind of like, that's, that's like what I do. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, 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 uh, we'd love to sponsor and we'd love to be a part yeah, of it. Yeah, that'd so. be awesome. We, I couldn't believe because like with this year, this past year being, um, we're, we had it sanctioned by the APF again and like we, we lost Louie as a sponsor, you know, uh, because it was the APF. Like I was talking about that issue that he had with the APF. So we lost Louie, which is a huge sponsor. And so I put something out there and I said, you know, we're looking for sponsors. I didn't say why. Um, you know, cause I was like, oh my God, like I have to make up all this cat, this, this, uh, prize money that we just lost. And I could not believe how many sponsors came out of the woodwork. We, I mean, we filled it up so fast. Um, I was so surprised and so many people were like, they're like, we didn't know that we could sponsor before because we thought it was just like a West side only sponsored thing. I'm like, no way, you know? So it's pretty cool to see how many businesses and gyms and people came out of the woodwork to want to support something like this. It was really cool. So awesome. Yeah. Well, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're in. So, mm -hmm. okay, good, good. <laughs> and how about social? How do people want to follow you and learn more about upcoming events or education clinics or anything you're putting out there? Um, so my, my personal Instagram is just, it's queen B power. Like I kind of got that nickname coming up in the gym you know, in our gym and like kind of being the gym mom, it was like, Oh, queen B. So it just became a thing. So, um, queen B power is my Instagram. And then I have team QBP, Q, like Q, queen B power team QBP, um, is another Instagram page where I post when my clinics are, um, cause now I teach like five hour clinics. I don't do the, you know, the, the big seminars anymore. I do like five hour clinics. Um, cause I, my thing is I want to focus more on helping people with technique and, um, on, on, squat bench and deadlift and teach them like really unique accessory exercises. So it's a lot more hands-on the clinic. So I kind of travel all over the country to do those. Um, 
And so those will be on my team QBP page. And uh, um, I also put out like different videos, demo videos. So I like to, you know, given that I really am into technique and stuff like that, I'll put out a lot of uh, accessory videos or just tutorials on different things on that page. Um, and then queenbeepower.com is where everything is. That's where you can find links to the seminars and to, um, you know, I have programming on trainheroic.com. So I have um, team QBP uh, uh, programs, different things. I have programs for powerlifters. I have programs for um, people that want to train that don't have access to specialty bars and chains and all the fun conjugate stuff. So more modified type programming. And then I have uh, strength programming for uh, CrossFit athletes as well on there. So there's links to all everything like the, you know, trained heroic stuff, the seminars. Um, I've a few different things for apparel. Everything's on the queen, queen Sweet. We'll, we'll link those up in the show. Yeah. Notes. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it was great to see you again. And, uh, thanks I know, for coming you on too. Power the Radio. Thanks so much, you guys. Oh, anytime. Cool. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Laura Phelps on Instagram at Queen Bee Power. Until next time, bye!